Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. One of the great things about having a weekly discussion on matters of law here on Chicago's Legal Latte is that uh, we we can cover a lot of different topics, and as we go through that list, uh, some are basic, some are complex, um, some touch a number of different areas. And on top of that, the great thing of being able to rely on the resources of Laval Law is that uh, their wide range of experienced attorneys cover uh, a number of different practice areas. And uh, today we uh, returned to conversation with uh, Attorney Joshua Pagan, who has been with us in the past. And uh, we're going to talk uh, about um, uh, some of the elements of litigation today as we as we learn a little bit more about uh, some of the outcomes there. Uh, this is Jim Mitchell, of course, and uh, always a pleasure to be with you to have the chance to converse about law. And Joshua, I know you're busy, so I appreciate you taking the time. Everything good today? Everything's going well. Glad to be Glad to be speaking with you. So um, we're going to talk about some outcomes today. We're going to talk about judgments in, in particular and, and how they're uh, awarded, how they're collected in Illinois law. And I, I just want to make clear, I guess, as we begin the conversation, when we talk about judgments, this is something that's going to come out of a, a uh, litigation case, uh, basically a lawsuit. We're not talking about criminal cases here. These are, these are cases uh, one party against another. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So the judge, uh, judgment is sort of the ultimate outcome of when a party files a civil lawsuit against another party. That's correct. Okay. And in those cases, um, would that first party who's filing the lawsuit, are they asking for something specific, a specific amount of money or damages of some sort? And is that what a judgment would lead to? Or might it just be a, a, a case in which uh, they're you know, stating that some contract has been broken or other instances occurred, and they're looking for the court to determine what that judgment might be. Sure. So it really does. It really does depend on the type of case. And some, in some types of cases, you have to be explicit with what you're asking from the court. In other types, you're asking the court to make a determination as to what you want. Essentially, how the process starts with any lawsuit, it begins with the filing of a complaint with the court, which is um, what gets the lawsuit started. And essentially, it's all of your factual allegations against the other party. You're indicating, you know, what they've, how they've wronged you, what they did wrong. Um, and uh, at the end, that's when you're asking the court to award you a certain type of release. Uh, relief. So, for example, if you are suing someone for breach of contract, you'll set out all the allegations regarding the creation of the contract, its, term, its relevant terms, uh, what the defendant did to breach the contracts, you know, why, why their actions constitute a breach of the agreement, and then what your damages are. And typically that would be money damages, which is specifically what, we, what uh, I'll be discussing with you today. Um, so once you file that complaint and explain all that to the judge with that document, um, that's uh, at some point, if you prevail on your case, and there are multiple ways of doing that, at some point you'll hopefully end up with a judgment that says that the defendant did in fact breach that contract or you know did whatever it is wrong that you said that they're doing wrong, and then the judge will enter that judgment essentially saying that that defendant owes you that, that amount of money. And, and just to 
you know, dig into the process a little bit um, to, to make sure people understand that, that what goes on. You, you've referred to the judge making a decision here. Are these are these cases always heard before a judge, or would there ever be a circumstance in which it would be a jury trial? It depends. Um, equitable uh, equitable matters such as um, injunctions uh, are only heard before a judge. But when we're thinking of a traditional money damages lawsuit, they can, t they can either be heard before a judge, which is what we refer to as a bench trial, um, or they can be heard before a jury. And it really depends on whether or not the plaintiff or the defendant requests a jury trial at the beginning of the case. Okay. Uh, you, you gave us good insight there when you mentioned at the beginning sort of stating the facts of the case, what it is that uh, you felt the, the other party did wrong or incorrectly or insufficiently. Um, and, and you start that as, as your um, initial premise there as you file the suit. What, what sort of proof do you have to bring with you? Obviously, if you've got a contract, you can point to the contract or other agreements and discussions. Is it easy to build a case like this when you think there's been a breach, or is there a fair amount of uh, data gathering that has to happen to try and prove your case? It typically depends on what the nature of the case is. So, if we're, you know, if we're going to stick with breach of contract with our sort of with, with our example, um, you know, if it's something as simple as a landlord-tenant dispute where a landlord is alleging that a tenant did not pay rent, um, you know, they would allege that in their you know in their complaint. And in terms of proof, you know, you could simply point to your bank statements and show that you never received that money. Um, if it's a more complex breach of contract case, um, you know, which is, you know, uh, one type of matter that we handle here at Lavelle Law and I, that I've been involved in as well, it can come down to emails, depositions, uh, data on computers. Um, so it really does depend on the type of breach. The more complex the breach um, or, the you know, the, the more complex the case, um, the more uh, evidence that you'll need to establish the breach. So it really does depend on what it is, how it is that you're alleging that the defendant breached the contract. Now, that defendant, I assume, can be an individual or, or an entity of some sort. Um, should the judge rule in favor of the plaintiff, uh, is it that person or entity then that is responsible for settling that judgment? Uh, well, it depends on who you name in the complaint. Um, you know, mm -hmm. who you name kind of just depends on the facts of the case. So, for example, if it's a, if it's a landlord-tenant dispute, the plaintiff would typically be the, uh, the owner of the property or the landlord um, who's listed on the lease, and the defendant would be the, less, uh, the lessee, whoever's named on the lease. Um, when you get into... Uh, uh, issues regarding whether or not you should name a corporation as a defendant or an individual, that all depends on the facts of the case. But ultimately, um, you know, if you name a defendant in the case, if you name someone as, uh, whether it's an individual or a corporation or an LLC um, or any other type of entity as a defendant, you're essentially asking the court to make that defendant ultimately responsible for, for, status, for paying your judgment should you get one. Um, we're in conversation today with uh, Lavelle Law Attorney Joshua Pagan. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, judgments in Illinois law, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into that topic today. But as always, we're going to have a limited amount of time. Um, so if you have more questions or things you want to follow up on or learn more about Joshua and his practice, uh, uh, whether it be litigation or other legal needs you might uh, have, visit LavelleLaw.com. Um, uh, the site has been uh, redone recently. It uh, looks terrific, uh, navigates very well, and 
Uh, Lavelle has also uh, opened a, a new, nicer, bigger office down in the Chicago Loop to uh, complement their uh, office out in the suburbs. So a lot of great things happening. And if you visit LavelleLaw.com, you can kind of get an update on all of that. Um, Joshua, we're, we talked about um, the process by which a judge would award a judgment against a defendant. Uh, so in that case, uh, the plaintiff wins the case. Uh, the judgment is awarded. Now, is it uh, the responsibility of the plaintiff to then go somehow collect that, or, or how does they uh, how do they make sure that uh, they get what the judge has said they're supposed to get? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss this topic with you is because, you know, we oftentimes see on the news, you know, um, you know, a, a, an injured person um, being awarded millions and millions of dollars um, in, uh, in, in, in damages in a, in, a, in a verdict or a judgment of some sort. And uh, a friend of mine asked me, who's responsible for paying that? And the fact of the matter is, it's, it's, it's the defendant. Uh, it's whoever's listed in the judgment. Um, yeah, you know, so assuming we're not getting into complex issues regarding you know, liability, let's say, for example, you know, a, a plaintiff sues a defendant and gets their judgment against that defendant, the, dis- the defendant's responsible for paying it, and ultimately it's up to the plaintiff to collect on it. So many times when clients think about suing someone, they only think about you know, the actual lawsuit and winning the lawsuit itself. Um, many times uh, clients don't think about, you know, the actual collection of the lawsuit. So uh, in many, you know, and I'm sure in many states, but, you know, I'm speaking specifically to Illinois. Illinois has a a statutory process, what we call supplementary proceedings or post-judgment proceedings. And it's a statutory process that's laid out for collecting on your judgment. And is that a complex process? Does that uh, take time then, or uh, how does that work uh, it, from from a legal it, process? Yeah, um, it it can it can be depending on whether or not um, whether or not your defendant has money. So, typically, uh, speaking from my own experience, what I would typically do is when I get my judgment, the first thing that I would do is I would get what's called a memorandum of judgment. Um, so, if your defendant owns any real estate. Um, in, uh, uh, in, in Illinois, the first thing I would do is get a memorandum of judgment um, issued by the judge and record it in the county where the, um, where the real estate is located. Um, and that uh, gets recorded as a lien against any property in that county that's owned by the defendant. So that's step one. So then and there, you're not necessarily getting money but you are um, sort of holding your place in line to collect against that real estate should it come down to it. The other first important step is issuing what we call a citation to discover assets to the defendant. And essentially a citation to discover assets is sort of like a summons where you would have to issue it and serve it upon the defendant, now what we call the judgment debtor, because they owe the judgment Mm -hmm. to the judgment creditor, which is the plaintiff, and it essentially requires the defendant to come to court and answer questions regarding their financial picture. So um, you can ask them questions regarding their bank accounts, their savings accounts, uh, vehicles, homes, boats, jewelry, essentially any sort of non-exempt property um, that you can then ask the court to turn what we call turnover, meaning the judgment debtor has to turn it over to you 
um, in order to satisfy your judgment. And that's obviously a very simplified way of explaining it, but that's the purpose of a citation to discover assets. It allows you to ask the debtor questions to figure out what assets they have that you can take that are non-exempt and turn that into money to satisfy your judgment. And it it's probably leads us to a whole other discussion. We've only got a minute or two left here. But um, if, in fact, they truly don't have the money to pay uh, what they have been uh, uh, told to pay by the court, uh, does that mean the plaintiff just gets what they get, or can they perhaps uh, uh, claim some future earnings? Or what happens if is it just too bad that's all you get because that's all they have? Well, you have a couple of alternatives. One alternative is you can enter into some sort of payment arrangement with the defendant to you know, pay the judgment over time. Um, I've done that, and, I know, and I've uh, helped clients do that as well. And second option is, yeah, if, you know, if they have earnings of some sort, um, such as you know, if they have a job, you can also issue a wage garnishment to satisfy your judgment that way. A third option is if you know that they have bank accounts somewhere, but you you are skeptical as to what they're what information they're giving you, you can issue what's called a third-party citation to discover assets, which essentially, uh, f uh, you know, for example, if you if they have a bank account and you don't think that they're telling you the truth as to what they have, you can issue a third-party citation to their bank, and the bank would have would be required to tell you exactly all the accounts that they have, how much money is in them, and you can completely bypass a defendant. And if they have enough money in the account to satisfy the judgment or uh, an amount that's, you know, above the exempt um, amount listed in uh, Illinois law, um, then you can ask the, the bank to pass it over to you that way. So, you know, if you went into a situation where a debtor, you know, really just doesn't have something, um, or if you're skeptical as to whether or not they have something, there are alternative ways on collecting on your judgment. And before I let you go, just real quickly, um, what's the impact uh, going forward in terms of uh, an individual's credit rating if, if there's a judgment? A, a judgments do have a negative impact on your credit. So if a judgment is entered against you, um, typically the credit bureaus uh, every so often um, pull information from the court systems. So if a judgment has been entered against you, it is recorded against your credit. And in order to get that removed, you actually have to satisfy the judgment and get a uh, and get a judgment, uh, a satisfaction of judgment, filed with the court and submitted to the credit bureaus. That way, it shows as, as satisfied. Um, so it does affect the judge. It's, it does a judgment does affect a debtor's credit. Well, many thanks to Attorney Joshua Pagan of Lavelle Law for being with us today. Great conversation. And again, LavelleLaw.com is someplace you can visit to pick up more information. Thank you to Joshua. Thank you for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon.